Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we woke up this morning and it was so cold the lake froze over in the middle of the night. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty to see. It's also the sign that any day now the cops will be out here getting someone out of the lake. Right. Because it happens every year. You cannot trust a frozen lake in Maine. Yeah. Yet all of our neighbors have decided that they like to snowmobile on the lake. And that's great. <laughs> as soon as it freezes. Yeah, but wait until the ice is completely uh, frozen. George, our neighbor across the road, mm. uh, lost his uh, ski-doo right into the lake. Um, what was it? Two years ago? Two, three years ago. Yep. And it's still there. Oh, yeah. No, there. it is a... It is a Skidoo Graveyard. It, it really is. For sure. Archaeologists, generations from now, will be diving our lake. Why did people put the... It must have been some sort of religious thing. Religious ritual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, of course, days away from uh, Christmas. Mm. And um, I have an appropriate story. You have a holiday-themed I, story? Yes. I'm very excited about this. It has to do with the skeletal remains of Santa Claus. Okay. I'm not sure where you're going with this. Okay. okay. All right. Well, let me clarify. Santa Claus, of course, is based on St. Nicholas, yeah. a real person. Sure. St. Nicholas was a bishop who lived and died in what is now Turkey in the first half of the fourth century. Uh, he, was, uh, he was born very wealthy. He was a very generous man, and uh, he enjoyed giving people gifts. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. There's a, a few stories about that. There was one story where uh, there was a, a widow who lived with her, her children in a house, like a poor house at the time, and he went by in the middle of the night and left three little bags of gold coins Aww. on the windowsill for them. 
And I, then uh, the next day, Elf's dad came by and he took their books away. <laughs> and she was all, but the children love the books. <laughs> Another story in the legend is that uh, there was a house of ill repute oh, in the, yeah, in the yeah, area. Yeah. And uh, he would go by and throw gold coins in the window to uh, support the prostitution industry, I guess, at the time. I mean, there are other ways to support it. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he was just paying his bills. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Could be. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, but his legend went far beyond his generosity. Getting his candy cane wet, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> there was a horrible situation in uh, the city where he lived at the time. Uh, a butcher had killed three children oh. and carved them up and stored their remains in a vat of brine. And leg legend has it that he raised the children from the dead. Oh. Now, I believe the whole gold coin in the, in the hooker's window. Right. I, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the children being uh, raised from lumps of flesh that have been pickled, a little hard for me to believe. Mm. Yet, that's part of the legend. Okay. I did not know that. That's really interesting. His legend spread far and wide, uh, mostly because of semen. I Again, we're back to the house of ill repute. <laughs> no, no, sailors. Uh, that's what I meant by that. Oh. Um, they believed that St. Nicholas could keep them sa safe on lengthy sea voyages. Uh, they'd often cry out his name in rough seas. Uh, <laughs> a storm, she's a brewing. Jolly old St. Nick, save me. <sighs> like that. That's what they would do. Is that what it would sound like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, maybe it was a little bit different. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the legend was if they called out the name of St. Nicholas, the rough seas would disappear and they would turn smooth as glass. So it was sailors who started spreading the word of St. Nicholas around. Sailors have spread a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. saying, please mm -hmm. continue. Yep. Yeah. Um, they started, they were the ones responsible for spreading the word of the cult of St. Nicholas around the world. Okay. People all over the world knew about St. Nicholas. At a, you know, this was really, you know, like 1600 years ago. Right. Um, Patron saint of sailors and hookers. Yep. Something like that. Within a very short time, less than 100 years, the bishop was worshipped as a saint, mostly because of sailors. Ports were named after St. Nicholas. Islands, uh, inlets, probably thousands of babies, um, <laughs> were named after St. Nick. Uh, because of this, he became one of the best-loved saints of all Christendom. So how he became Santa Claus is a whole different thing because, you know, there's a bit of a leap there from St. Nicholas, right? A, an historic figure, historical figure to Santa Claus, who is, you know, a mythical icon. I mean, that's what some people say. Right. Historians believe probably it's owed to the December 6th Feast of St. Nicholas, that's what kind of placed St. Nicholas around what is now the Christmas or holiday season. Uh, St. Nicholas is a feast, the Feast of St. Nicholas. Bet a lot of those ladies thought he was. <laughs> mm -mm. Now, we all think of Santa Claus as, uh, you know, a jolly old man wearing a big red suit. Where did the red suit come from? Probably from St. Nicholas's red bishop robes. Oh, okay. They interpreted that, changed it, and it became a, you know, a red suit with fur trim. 
apple bottom jeans. Now, what about the name Santa Claus? This is the part that I found. One <laughs> sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I, I require artwork that shows St. Nick in apple bottom jeans. And boots maybe, with the fur? Yeah, maybe red jeans. You know, red denim is a thing. Um, and just like, just a fat booty, mm-hmm. like popping up out of those jeans a little bit, <laughs> like super low rise, little right. poop, poop, poop. Yeah. So you get a little poop, poop out of the top. All right, artist freaks, you've been given your assignment from Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Draw us a picture of Santa wearing apple bottom jeans and boots with the fur. <laughs> anyway, Santa Claus. Where did we get the name Santa Claus? This is this is really quite interesting. It's derived from how the Dutch immigrants of New Amsterdam pronounced his name. Not Saint Nicholas, but Sinterklaas. Oh. Sinterklaas. Saint Nicholas Sinterklaas. Saint Sint. Sint. Sinterklaas Nicholas. That's how it sounded to them. So they would call him Sinterklaas. So it became Santa Claus. The legend of Saint Nicholas is a powerful legend, as so was his corpse, by the way. Oh? Let's talk about the corpse of Saint Nick. Yes, please. Now, we all know the story about the bodies of saints and martyrs in uh, Christian in Christian history. Since uh, its beginning, they've been very important to the religion. The earliest churches were built on the tombs of saints. Right. And pieces of their corpses, referred to as religious relics, were believed to hold a certain holy power, and Mm -hmm. still do. It was believed that using these religious relics would help you connect and possibly communicate with higher powers through them. Kind of like um, a uh, bone cell phone or something. Like holding a... a a shell up to your ear. Yeah, kind of, I guess. Um, and yeah. Except it's like femur. Yeah. Uh, they believe that, that the uh, holy relics would help manifest the holy forces on earth. They could heal you, they could protect you, and, of course, perform miracles. Sometimes the miracles of saints concerned their own bodies. Uh, we've heard stories about uh, saints whose corpses did not corrupt. Exactly. Uh, that they refused to decay. Some dripped blood decades, even centuries after death, and some would ooze some kind of inic- <laughs> banjo. <laughs> and some would ooze some kind of inexplicable substance. Um, okay, and that, that's just called decomp. Well, and <laughs> yeah, but it's different because it smelled like roses. This is what happened with jolly old Saint Nick. Oh. Santa's skeletal remains. Not too long after his death, a liquid started secreting from the bones. It was said that it smelled like roses and had the power to heal. See, I would have thought like winter mint or something like that. <laughs> right. This was taken as a sign. This is gingerbread? <laughs> that Nicholas in his corpse was holy and thousands of people began flocking to his tomb in the port city of Myra uh, in Turkey. See, just because something smells good doesn't mean that it's holy. Like gangrene smells like almonds, guys. That doesn't mean that... (laughs) You want to rub it on your wounds. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Word quickly spread. And two other ports uh, were very jealous of Myra. They were getting all the attention because of uh, St. Nicholas's... Mm body. So so what they did was uh, there, there there became this great competition for holy relics at this time. In fact, there was even an underground black market relics trade. Oh jeez, of course there was. Yeah. Uh merchants, even monks would sneak into the crypt 
crypts of churches and steal Stop. steal them some holy bones. <laughs> Surprisingly, this was not considered a sin. No? No, because they believe, like a lot like uh, King Arthur's sword in the stone, relics could only be removed by the right person. So if they were able to steal the relics, they were meant to steal the relics. That is a wonderful way to get away with crimes. To be like, (laughs) no, because if the universe didn't want me to have stolen it, it wouldn't have let me. So this is what happened. I'm supposed to have your riding lawnmower. (laughs) This is what happened to jolly old St. Nick. A group of merchants and sailors from Bari uh, raided the city and ultimately the tomb. Apparently, they wanted to compete with the Venetians who had just finished stealing the bones of St. Mark. Mm, The Uh, patron saint of blinds? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) They smuggled his bones. This is what they did with St. Mark. They smuggled his bones out in a basket of pork from Alexandria in the year 827. The... Barians had heard that Myra had uh, fallen to the Turks, and that left St. Nicholas's tomb unguarded. So they had heard that Myra had fallen to the Turks, and that had left uh, St. Nicholas's tomb unguarded, the, uh, the tomb of jolly old St. Nick. So they thought that they needed a saint for themselves. Of course, you know, <laughs> any, any reputable port has its own saint. Sure. And a Barian clerk, in an account shortly after, Uh, The theft wrote that three ships from Bari sailed into the harbor in the spring of 1087. There were 47 Barians, and they were all well-armed. They got off the ship and immediately tromped to the church of St. Nicholas, where they politely asked to see the tomb. Um, the monks were a little suspicious and sure. <laughs> wanted to know what they were up to. Is this some sort of weird tour? Or? Yeah, it's the middle of the night. Uh, but rather than explain, the Barians just tied the monks up and smashed their way into the sarcophagus. Oh. Uh, there they found the skeletal remains of Santa Claus, uh, submerged in that ooze. Um... Reports said that a heavenly perfume wafted up from the bones. It was described in one account as, quote, licking at the venerable priests as if in insatiable embrace. And and so the bones of St. Nick quickly made their way to Barry. Now, the stealing of St. Nick's Nick's bones uh, made the men who stole them and the thieves that were involved local heroes. They became famous in the area for stealing the bones of St. Nick. Mm. And for centuries after they died, their descendants would receive a percentage of all offerings that were given on the feast's day. For hundreds of years, their descendants got money because they stole the bones of St. Nicholas. Oh, okay. They even built a new basilica to hold the remains. And throughout the Middle Ages, thousands of pilgrims would visit. They even have an elaborate festival, a Feast of Translation, which celebrates the day that the stolen bones of St. Nicholas arrived in Barry. And one of the highlights of the festival, (laughs) this is weird, um, is the rector will lean into St. Nicholas's sarcophagus and draw off some of the, uh, the liquid that's in there in the yeah, tomb because the it's Santa juice. The Santa juice. Um, he puts it in a crystal vial and then mixes it with holy water and pours it into uh, decorated bottles that are sold in Bari's gift shops. Okay. It's, All right. it's thought to be a curative drink. Oh, no. They don't drink it. They drink it. Oh, no. Drinking no. Santa juice. Stop that. Mm. So Bari's been well known as the place for St. Nicholas's bones. 
But the Venetians also claim that they have the bones of St. Nick. They say their own sailors visited Myra during the First uh, first Crusade and stole Nicholas's remains, and uh, they've been in Venice ever since that time. So for centuries... So someone's got fake bones? <laughs> that's, that's what we need to determine. Centuries, for centuries, both Bari and Venice have claimed to have the bones of St. Nicholas. In 1953, officials allowed a university professor to examine for the first time the remains of the tomb in Bari, it had been opened for the first time in 800 years. They hadn't opened wow. the tomb. The examination found the bones wet, fragile, fragmented, with many of them missing. Mm, that sounds like me after 2020. Just kind of like, <laughs> oh, I fragmented. He concluded that they belonged to a man who died in his 70s. But other than that, they could say little more. 40 years later, scientists studied the bones in Venice. And they found out that the bones in Venice and the bones in Bari came from the same skeleton. Uh-huh. So their thought is the relics in Venice and the ones in Bari had come from the same skeleton. They theorized that the sailors from Venice had stolen what was left in Myra mm. after the uh, Barians had done their initial raiding of the tomb. Apparently, they didn't get all of Santa's bones out. Mm. So for the original site in Myra... All that is left is an empty tomb. And they kind of want their bones back, please and thank you. Sure. <laughs> back in 2009, Turkish government officials said it was considering a formal request for the return of St. Nicholas's remains. Um, the bones have very little religious significance in Turkey uh, since 99% of the population is Muslim. Uh, but there's still a sense that stealing St. Nick's bones was a cultural violation. Mm -hmm, sure. Plus, of course, it would make a really great tourist attraction. I guess a lot of people go to the original St. Nicholas's tomb in Turkey and are horribly disappointed when they find out that the tomb is empty. But <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you telling me that TripAdvisor hasn't been updated <laughs> since the Barians came and <laughs> stole his bones? Well, it takes a while. Um, local officials tried to uh, to compensate by this. This is not a joke. They they decided that they would try to since they didn't have the bones of Saint Nick anymore, hmm. and they didn't want the tourists to be disappointed. They put a giant plastic lit Santa Claus outside the tomb. Nice. But I guess people weren't buying that. Huh. <laughs> so, so Santa, Santa remains scattered over the uh, Mediterranean area, pretty wow. much. Um, now, Santa Claus, of course, is an international cultural icon these days. But the myth is rooted in the bones of a man who died 16 centuries ago. And uh, his remains are now scattered across Europe and the Middle East. Wow. Merry Christmas. That is crazy interesting. Weird, huh? I love the Sinterklaas. Sin Sinterklaas. That, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I love that part the best. And now, that thing in the middle. It's not uncommon these days for children to write letters to Santa this time of year. But during the 1800s at Christmas time, Santa wrote to the children instead of the other way around. Santa told kids what naughty things they needed to stop doing to guarantee they'd receive presents. Santa even gave specific examples, like, hey, you broke a vase, you stole a biscuit, you punched a street urchin in the face. This was to prove that Santa was watching at all times. Merry Creepy Christmas. 
the box of oddities at a frequency so high only your dog can understand. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. 
Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Sydney sent us an email to curator at theboxofoddities.com. Finally, I can say hi to Kat and Jethro. I just finished all 284 episodes Whoa. in the Box of Oddities catalog, and I felt that I wasn't worthy enough to talk to you before I did so. You silly goose. <laughs> no. Um, I've been trying to remember all the Box of Oddity effects that I've experienced and fun ideas for you guys to talk about. So I'm going to share some with you now. Yes, please. I'll share, I'll share the first one. It's kind of a lengthy email, and we appreciate it. Thank you, Sydney. Sydney said, I, was, I remember listening to an episode. I couldn't tell you the number. I'm lazy. I believe <laughs> Kat was talking about the significance of the number 1111, or the numbers 1111. I got out of the shower, and the episode was ending. I looked at my phone to move on to the next episode, and it was, of course, 1111. 1111. Thanks, Sydney, for sharing. We appreciate hearing from you guys. We Absolutely. really do. Absolutely. Always. What you got for me? All right. <clears throat> I, I was in the pool. I was, okay, I can't do a George Costanza voice. I was, uh, th- sorry. What? Um, <laughs> what? It wasn't even close to George Costanza. Costanza. Uh, I was in the pool. That's, um. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, the, no. The, sh- the shrinkage. Yeah. Um, um, so let's talk about shrinkage a little bit. <laughs> um, we know that uh, cold temperatures, obviously, can cause a retraction mm-hmm. of certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to men's health, uh, you can expect your penis to shrivel by about 50% in length and 20 to 30% in girth when you're exposed to any air temperature below 60 degrees. Which is why I have been reluctant to leave the house this morning. <laughs> Uh, Now, blood vessels will constrict. That limits blood flow to your wiener. And, of course, you know, that's part of the whole reserving energy thing. Of course, uh, less blood flow goes to your all of your extremities, if you will, and goes to your 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 core, your organs and not your organ. Yeah. For some reason, the universe has decided that our winkies aren't mandatory. Well, Which is ridiculous. I don't know. Um, I also think it's really interesting that your your balls like are outside of your body, and it's just like, whew, it's too hot in there. Yeah, well, we gotta yeah. <laughs> we gotta get that's, out. That's it. That's why they say <laughs> if you uh, wear underwear that's too tight in mm. your in your ball sack, it's too hot. It affects your sperm count. Yeah. Although I've never counted my sperm. <laughs> That's good. Who's got that kind of time? That's important. Uh, Now, there is a a group of people, or there have been many people, uh, that struggle with the anxiety of their penis shrinking or even vanishing inside their body forever. What? 
It's called Koro, and it is mostly a cultural-bound syndrome. It's a delusional disorder, which an individual has an overpowering belief that their sex organs are retracting and will disappear. Will never come back. That's right. Wow. Uh, it's found mainly among the Chinese and other Asian societies near China, and the condition is most prevalent in southern China, where repeated epidemics of people claiming that their weans and their labia are disappearing. Wow. The word is borrowed from melee, which means the head of a turtle, referring to how it looks when, you know, the turtle mm. retracts yep. their head turtle, turtle. into the shell. It was first mentioned in the ancient Chinese text, the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, dating to 300 BC. Internal, for sure. <laughs> now, among females, the cardinal symptom is nipple retraction into the breast, mm -hmm. generally uh, the into the breast as a whole and anxiety can also revolve around as i said the labia with an overwhelming fear that your nipple and or your labia are being absorbed back into your body see that's interesting because with guys when it's cold you know it's it retracts into the body the mm -hmm. penis retracts into the body or, or shrinks up and shrivels whatever with women when it's cold their nipples get bigger why is that i don't know that's not what we're talking about well, <laughs> Yeah, but I wanted to talk about nipples. Okay. Um, well, I don't think that it's – I think that has to do with stimulation and it could be – I don't – you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable talking about that <laughs> right now. Oh, okay, fine. In 1967. Nipple. Was one of the best documented epidemics of Koro. Hundreds of people rushed to hospitals – terrified that if they loosened their grip on their members, <laughs> that they would disappear and they would die. Wow. In one case, a 16-year-old rushed into the hospital's outdoor clinic with his parents close behind him. The boy looked frightened and pale, as one report described it. He was pulling hard on his penis to prevent the organ from disappearing into his abdomen. Doctors reassured him and the family that uh, his penis was not disappearing. Um, they gave him basically a tranquilizer. And after that, he was better. Hmm. So it's some kind of mass hysteria thing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, this boy had heard rumors that tainted pork that came from inoculated pigs that had been uh, inoculated against swine fever wow. could cause genitals to shrink and or disappear. Was this on the QAnon website? <laughs> Well, what had happened was a lot of people had heard this report and more people followed to the emergency room. Oh. Hospitals were flooded with patients. Pork sales plummeted. <laughs> and the uh, officials in, in that region had to announce that uh, the swine fever and the vaccine were harmless to humans. But it didn't matter. For seven days, Singapore Medical Association and the Ministry of Health had to deal with these influxes. Is that can you pluralize it, this influx of uh, patients claiming that their genitals were disappearing? Wow. And they had to appear on television and radio to announce that it was purely psychological. Like your 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 peeners are not disappearing, and Imagine. even if they did, you're not going to die. <laughs> Imagine. 
being the newscaster who received that bulletin. This just in, your wiener is not going away. Film at 11. After the officials came on television repeatedly and said, this is just in your head, it's not actually happening. There have been no actual reports of this phenomenon that Hmm. that you're all picturing happening, happening, people started to like chill out. And you, it's kind of like, because it just happened in their brain, because they just imagined this illness, they could kind of like calm themselves out of Hmm. the disorder. Wow. There is, however, a danger connected with Coro. And it's because... Is it pulling on your penis too yes, hard? It's no. because you have this idea that it's disappearing. Uh, people would try to prevent it from shrinking further by uh, pulling on it, sometimes tying strings around it, or <laughs> no. securing it with a clamping device. Oh, no. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, Don't clamp your penis yeah. with a device mm-hmm. unless it's, you know designed for that. And that's that's where the injuries came from. And in some cases, people had worked so hard to prevent their mm. genitals from disappearing that they had permanently damaged their <sighs> genitals. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. In some cases... People had convinced their family, or in, in in even rarer cases, their neighbors, that they needed to help them. And so they had family members holding on to their genitals. <laughs> like a tug of war. Something like that, mm-hmm. yes. A tug of war that nobody wins. Nobody wins. No. In even rarer cases, others might believe that someone else has Koro and can attempt to rescue their organs, <laughs> which is really upsetting when you don't have consent. Yeah. Uninvited organ rescue is not a good idea. This is according to the National Library of Medicine. So it's believed that in certain cultures, the the general state of shrinkage, which is completely normal, that that can lead to eventual impotence and sterility and eventually death. So traditional Chinese medicine treats these the shrinkage with a a few different types of, you know, quote unquote medicines. And we've talked about that before. I don't know. It sounds like the tranquilizers worked. Right. And for the most part, Koro is held to be a Chinese cultural bound condition because that is the region in which um, it's the most perpetuated that shrinkage can lead to these things slash death. However, the phenomenon is also known among other ethnic and religious groups in Asia and in Africa, typically in cultures which reproductive ability is like a huge part of what a a young person's worth is, like mm-hmm. the connection mm-hmm. between their virility and their worth. And that's why, um, in some cases, the epidemic it causes such widespread panic because you're so entrenched with the idea that what you can do with your bits uh, is what your value as a human is. That's not specific to just that area, though. I mean, you know, I think to one degree or another, all guys feel like that. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess to a certain extent, mm-hmm. sure. sure. The procreative ability and and even your life is 
it, it triggered by rumors of your genital disappearance. So if hmm. like like I said, in China, the idea that your your wiener might go away, it's triggered by what's called like female fox spirits. Female fox spirits wow. might steal your your genitals <laughs> and okay. uh, and then you'll die. What do they do with it? After they they just put them in like a like a trunk somewhere. <laughs> They've got a trunk full of stolen members. <laughs> I've got your dick. <laughs> in Singapore and Thailand, the the cause of this mass wiener disappearance is by mass poisoning. Mm. And in Africa, it's sorcery that causes the the loss of of your your bits. Wow. So it is cultural in that how that what is causing this imagined genital disappearance is you know and and why it's so important to the people that their that their genitals be present and accounted for I guess <laughs> hmm. um, so it kind of feeds on itself <clears throat> it does it's it, which which is a horrible horrible picture in my mind mm. now. Wow. It's like that snake eating itself, except with a wiener. <laughs> yeah, the infinity sign. Yeah. But a penile one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not unheard of in uh, Europe or, or, you know, Western cultures, mm -hmm. but it is much less common because we don't link our, our worth and our value as much with our ability to procreate. And therefore, the anxiety doesn't, you know, appear. Doesn't have that effect. Right. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, so that is Koro, also known as genital retraction syndrome. Wow, fascinating. Mm. Boy, the human brain, man. It can do really terrible things it to you. It can do really terrible things yeah. to you. As we've said before, uh, the brain is amazing and terrifying and sometimes lies to you. Yep, a liar, a big, big liar. We actually got another email. Let me share this with you. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I'm so funny. It's okay, honey. Derek sent us an email, said, Hey guys, I'm an over the road trucker and found your podcast a few weeks ago and we've been and I've been binging ever since. I have struggled with mental illness for most of my life and have just in the last few years started to get stabilized somewhat. I just finished listening to episode one oh two, The Canyon of Garbage Thoughts. Mm. I have uh, never heard anyone else describe their brain and its stupid thoughts that way before, other than myself. I don't think I could ever explain how much that means to me. Thanks for your show, and thanks for your being wonderful selves and Aww. keep flying yeah. that freak flag. Yeah, as we've said all along, you and I have struggled mm -hmm. with anxiety and uh, me, depression, uh, to a certain degree. <laughs> and what really helped us was was just, uh, well, first of all, medication. That, that helps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but secondly, um, really starting to shut your brain down when it starts lying to you. Yeah. And the more you do that, it's like exercising a muscle. The easier it becomes. It's not easy at first, but for well, me- it's not it, easy ever. No, no, but it gets easier. <laughs> and it can. It, yeah, well, yes, yes, it can. It, it has- for me, I started by just visualizing a big light switch. Mm. And whenever my mind would, or brain would start to tell me something about how horrible a person I, I was, I would just say, not helpful, and, and flip the switch in my <laughs> mind. And of course, immediately I'd start thinking about that again. But over time, I was able to, uh, to shut that off more and more. 
that's, always. That's amazing. And like we've talked about before, I was in my 30s before I realized that I had anxiety. I just mm. always thought I was bad at being a person, <laughs> um, which is just like, yeah. I had firsthand experience in helping people who were dealing with the same feelings that I was feeling. But for some reason, because they were inside of me, mm-hmm. it just meant that I was deficient. Right. And yes. somehow I had convinced myself that that just meant that I wasn't good at at dealing with stuff. Mm. But, for, <laughs> for, but for everyone else, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, my gosh, well, you must have a friggin' chemical <laughs> imbalance, which doesn't allow you to think right, you know, and it, for some reason, for me, it was different. And I was just yeah. bad. Your brain was lying to you. Yeah. yeah. And there was a book that I read not long ago about uh, basically about how your thoughts aren't who you are. Mm. And that for me was a whole revelation. Like I always attributed my thoughts to my failures and my mm-hmm. weaknesses. Sure. You know, really, it's important to remember, remember especially during the holidays when depression and anxiety is more likely to attack one that you're not alone. Yeah. You know, everybody feels these feelings. Everybody's brain lies to them. Some people are better at dealing with it than others. Some people have learned to deal with it better Mm. than others. Some people just hide it better than others. Right. But we all, every one of us, our brain lies to us about how we're deficient somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. (laughs) Hey, and speaking of that, thanks for all the uh, the mail we got this oh, week. Holy crap. Whoa. I mean, I had to make two trips to the truck. I had tons of cards and packages. You guys are just the sweetest. We love you so much. So much. Thank you so, so much. I am overwhelmed. We're going to wrap it up there. Look forward to seeing you uh, next time. Please remember that next week there will be no Thursday show because it is Christmas Eve. We're taking that day off. But uh, it doesn't mean we don't love you. That's right. Don't believe your brain. (laughs) That's a great example. No. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And don't believe your brain. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. 
love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>